Hello, my friends, and welcome back for this week's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. And before we begin, as always, if you have any questions, comments, would like to just say hello, introduce yourself, please feel free to send me an email at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Before we begin this week, I'm very excited to tell you that this coming Sunday, I'll be taking a trip to the Lakewood Yeshiva, the famous Lakewood Yeshiva base Medrash Gavoha, the biggest yeshiva in the United States for a men's mission where we're going to be learning in the yeshiva and touring the yeshiva and meeting the Roshi Yeshiva. It is going to be a special day. And the way it has to do with the Practical Parsha podcast is that, God willing, next week, I hope to share with you some pearls of wisdom that we hear from the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi David Shustel Shlita. So last year I shared some of the thoughts that um, Rav Yerucham Olshin Shlita, one of the other Rosh Yeshiva, one of the other deans of the Yeshiva, shared with us. I was able to share it with you. So God willing, looking forward to having you back here next week with some of the words of wisdom from Rabbi David Shustel Shlita. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Truma. And really for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be dealing with the building of the Mishkan, the vestments of the Kohanim, of the priests, the service in the tabernacle, the Mishkan, and exactly how the Mishkan was constructed. This week specifically, Parsha's Truma, deals with the commandment Hashem gives to, to Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people to build the Mishkan and its actual construction, what should be in the Mishkan, um, you know, its, its dimensions, the, the covers of the Mishkan, the, diff- the walls of the Mishkan, the, the, the Shulchan, the different objects that were in the Mishkan, including the Shulchan, the table, the menorah, the Aron HaKodesh, the ark, the Holy Ark, the Mizbeach, the altar, the parochis, the partition, and the general description of the courtyard of how the Mishkan should be set up, what goes where, which directions everything is facing. Everything was exact. And the, the commentaries explained to us that the, the Mishkan served different purposes. Obviously, the first purpose of the Mishkan was to make a dwelling place for the Shechina, for God's presence in this world. And there's different reasons that are given to why the Mishkan was built. One reason is that it was a place where, like I said before, where God's Shechina manifested itself. And therefore, when people would come to the Mishkan, they would be inspired, they would be rejuvenated, pun intended, and they would recommit themselves to serving Hashem on a higher level. It was a place where the Jewish people were able to offer sacrifices, karbonos, as well as perform the avoda now in the Mishkan, and th- which would be eventually performed in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Additionally, the Mishkan also served as a unification for the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know that the tw- there was 12 tribes. Jewish people came out of Egypt, 12 brothers, and there's 12 tribes. And each one of the tribes were different. 
They were different than the other. And a very beautiful thought I saw brought down was that in Judaism, we are not a monolithic religion. Meaning, we don't say it's one way or the highway. Now, I want to put a, a little clause on that, that, of course, we have the Torah, we have Shulchan Aruch, we have the Code of Jewish Law. We have a framework in which we have to do, you know, to serve God. We can't just start making things up and say, ah, I feel like this is Judaism, and that's, so for me, this is what I feel my connection should got, got to God should be. It doesn't work like that. We have a framework. But within that framework, there is ample room to serve God in different ways. And that is the representation of the 12 tribes. And in fact, the later on, you know, in the, in, in the Parshios, we're going to see that the Jewish people are going to receive flags, special flags. And in fact, if you've ever been to a synagogue, you look at the Aron, the, the Ark, or you look at the windows, sometimes a lot of shoals, they have these beautiful stained glass windows. And if you look closely, you'll see there's pictures of different things on those windows. Or if you look on the Ark, there's inscriptions of different pictures. Maybe you've seen them. You know, you see there's a picture of an ox, which represents the tribe of Yosef. A picture of a lion, which represents the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. You know, an olive tree, which represents the tribe of Usher. And each tribe had their own flag. This is really representative of the, the flags of, the, of each one of the tribes. And the flag that each one of the tribes had represented the strengths and the character traits of each one of them. Meaning it was showing that they were different, that they were all different, and they were all serving God a little bit differently. But at the same time, they had the same focus. And really a, uh, a way that we can understand this is that how they were different, but yet towards the same goal, is that if you look at an army, an army has so many different units. You have the Air Force, Marines, Navy, Army, but... You know, and there's even cooks and people do more "quote unquote" mundane things. But everyone's needed. Everyone has the same goal that the country should do well, and that's what it means to have different jobs, but yet be on the same page. Now, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky brings down. He asks the question: Is that why was it that they got the flags in the second year when after they came out of Egypt? Why didn't they get them right away? We know that when they left Egypt, they left as twelve tribes, so they should have received this gift of this of these spiritual flags and these motto it w they had deeper significances why didn't they get it right away and he explains that because the Jewish people did not have a mishkan they did not have the tabernacle so therefore if there's no unifying force behind their differences so then they're just going to be different there'll be 12 different nations but once you have a mishkan where there's a central focal point where everyone is coming together so then you could bring out your differences then you could you know then it's appreciated the differences that everyone has and really, the lesson that we can take out of this is that when it comes to the service of Hashem, service of God, I do want to stress again that we have the framework. We have the Torah, we have Shulchan Aruch, we have a code of Jewish law, and we have to stay within that framework. But within that, that guide, there's room, there's different you know, groups of, of people. You have Hasidim, you have people who are Ashkenazic, you have Sephardim. And you know, each one of these uh, different 
groups of Jews, they they have a little bit different way of, of, of serving Hashem, all within the confines of the Torah. And we're all needed to come, but as long we all have the same goal of serving Hashem. Really, when we're working with a group of people, when you're working with others, there's always differences of opinion. And the truth is, if we have the right intention, if we know who, who are we working for, what's our goal? You know, and we keep that in mind with the things that we do, so the outcomes that we have will be better outcomes. We won't get insulted if someone doesn't take our idea. We won't be hurt if someone doesn't listen to us because we know what's our goal. Who's our boss? It's Hashem. Who are we trying to serve? God. And this is in all areas of our life we could apply this rule because that in everything that we do, we have to ask that question to ourselves you know, and, and have that focus in mind that we're trying to serve Hashem, trying to serve God. Another idea I, I want to share with you today takes us to the beginning of the Parsha. Now, the, like I mentioned before, the, the Parsha talks about the Mishkan and how Hashem um, speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the Jewish people to bring donations for the Mishkan. So, you know, gold, silver, all these different materials. I believe it's 13 different materials to build the Mishkan. And the commentaries tell us that the quota got finished extremely fast. The Jewish people were so eager to do this mitzvah, to give it with a whole heart. I mean, obviously there's many lessons about giving that we can take out of this week's Parsha, but I don't want to focus on that right now. What I want to focus on is in the verse it says by Pasuk uh, Tes, it says, mikdash They shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. And the Chavetz Chaim brings down that in the Medrash, it says that at the time that Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to build the Mishkan, he, he got a tremendous fear overtook him. And he said, how can I build a building for God? Right? How can I make a house for Hashem? Right? God is, 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 is like infinite. He's not limited. When you, when you build a building, you're sort of limiting God to the building. Right? How could I do that? Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, no, that's not what I, I want. I don't want it according to my strength that you should build a building. Rather, I want you to build a building according to your strength. And he gives them the instructions of the Mishkan. Build it this amount of measurements and this length and this height and these dimensions. And the Medrash continues that when Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to start bringing carbonos, that they have certain type of sacrifices, right? Moshe Rabbeinu said, how can I bring an animal as a sacrifice to Hashem? Even if I bring all the animals in the world to Hashem, it's not going to suffice to, to, to do something. It's, you know, how could we ever bring anything to God? Right? God needs our, our sacrifices. And Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, I'm not giving you, commanding you to bring a sacrifice like you think that, you know, it's not how you think. Rather, I'm, I'm asking you to bring, just bring one one lamb, right? Bring one lamb in the morning and one lamb in, in the evening, the tamid sacrifice, right? I'm not asking you to bring all the animals of the world. I'm asking you to bring one animal. And when Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to, that each person should bring a chati shekel, which is this chati shekel coin towards the upkeep of the Mishkan, which would, which would be a koifer uh, nafsho, a nefesh, which would be a a redemption for one soul. He said, how is it possible for man to bring, you know, a pidyon nafsha? How can we do that? How can we bring a, you know, a redemption for our souls? 
How do we do that? And Hashem says, no, it's not like you think. Rather, you should bring what I command you. Bring a half of a shekel. Machz a shekel, a shekel. I'll tell you this, bring a half of shekel. And we're going to talk about this in later parshios. But th- this is the medrash. And the, and the Chavetz Chaim brings down in a very important um, idea which ties into this parsha, which ties into the Pasuk of Osuli Mikdash You shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may, may dwell among you. One of the most common misconceptions people have about Judaism in general, and I've, I've seen this firsthand, is that people think Judaism is an all-or-nothing religion. That either you do everything, or if I'm not doing everything, I might as well do nothing. And the truth is, not like that. Now, although we aspire to do all the mitzvot, that's what we're, our goal is, to serve God in the most complete way, if someone even does one mitzvah and doesn't do anything else, he's going to be rewarded for that mitzvah. And it's worthwhile that he or she is doing that mitzvah. Judaism is not all or nothing. Many times people think that, you know, it's, that, you know maybe God's trying to play tricks on them. But the truth is, not like that. The Chavetz Chaim brings down from this parsha, from this medrash, a very important lesson. That Hashem doesn't come with trickery with His creatures. That Hashem, that God, does not come with trickery to His people. But rather, what does He expect of each and every person? Does He expect you to do something that you're not able to accomplish? No. He only expects of you what you're able to do. And each person, it's different. For a person who's able to accomplish a lot, more is expected of him. For a person who's not able to do so much, less is expected of him. And, you know, sometimes a person is on a level where they can't do so much. They're not able to uh, learn so much. And they're, they push themselves to do what they can do. And slowly but surely, you know, you're able to do a little bit more and a little bit more. But what does God expect of you of this moment is only to do what you can do, right? And therefore, we see from this medrash how Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, I'm not expecting you to build a building for me, to build a mishkan on my terms. I just want you to build it for you, for man. And therefore, it has limitations, I'm not expecting you to give me all the animals in the world as a carbon. Just give me one. I'm only expecting you to give a half of shekel as a, as a redemption for your soul. And the lesson is, is that when it comes to our service of Hashem, Hashem expects of us what we can do. So on one hand, we have to use this as an empowerment that, you know, it's not all or nothing. It's what we're able to do. But, but on the other hand, we have to be real with ourselves. What could we do? Maybe we're not, maybe we're not pushing ourselves enough. Now, and obviously, everyone is something everyone needs to think about. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Could I be doing a little bit more? And sure, growth is slow, and that's important. But it's something to think about that we're only expected to do what we're able to do. And you know, whatever that we should take this focus with us to to do a little bit, to push a little more. And you know, the as we say many times in this podcast that if we take that first step, like I mentioned before, Hashem expands our potential to be able to do more and more. And that's a very important lesson from this week's Parsha. The next idea I wanted to share with you takes us to a little bit later in the Parsha 
where the Torah tells us of the placement of the shulchan, the table, which had the showbreads on it, and the menorah. And if you look at the verses, there's something very interesting you can see. It says in the Pasuk, chapter 26, Pasuk 35. You shall place the table outside the partition and the menorah opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and the table you shall place on the north side. So, one question which the commentaries ask, which is obvious, we know that everything in the Torah is teaching us a practical lesson. You know, it's this is the Practical Parsha podcast, of course. But you didn't need the Practical Parsha podcast to tell you that everything has a relation to our lives. Everything in the Torah, and that's one of the goals of this podcast, is to bring it out for everyone to enjoy and to gain from. And if you look at the Pasuk here, the Pasuk says something two times. It says, You shall place the table outside the partition and the menorah opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and the table you shall place on the north side. There was only one table. There was only one shulchan. Why is the Torah going in a roundabout way to describe to us the location of the shulchan, of the table? It would have just made more sense, right? For us, it seems more sensible to just say that the the table was placed outside of the partition on the north side. Why is the Torah going back and repeating it? It's put saying that the table was placed outside the partition, the menorah was opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and the table you shall place on the north side. It's very repetitive, very cumbersome. What could possibly be the lesson here the practical lesson for us to take out of this so we can learn from. And I saw a beautiful idea which Rabbi Tversky explains. And I think it explains, it gives us an insight into how we should lead our lives and sometimes the change and outlook we need to have as we get older and more mature in our lives. We know that the Shulchan and the Menorah represented two different concepts, two different ideas. And actually, in fact, really every part of the Mishkan represented different things, different parts of, you know, life, and they had different significances. And they also atoned for different things, different sins. And it's brought down that the menorah represented intellect, spirituality, the Torah. And the Shulchan, which contained the showbreads, uh, represented physical life, parnasa, a livelihood, making a living. And we know that when a person is born, an infant, the only focus that an infant has, and even a child, is the physical, is their needs, their physical needs. A baby is hungry, it cries. It's dirty, it cries. Right? That's all it cares about, its own selfish needs. And children also, they're hungry, uh, they they need something, they want something, they're thinking, they're very self-centered, right? And hopefully, as children get older, the focus changes. And when people become adults, we want that spiritual aspect of the person to come out, to take dominance, that to realize that the physical is only a means 
to an ends. It's not the ends. That we use the physical to get to a certain point, to, to accomplish something else. And for us as Jews, you know, we look at the physical as a vehicle for the spiritual. And hopefully as people grow older, their focus on the physical, on what's important in life, changes. It shifts. That even though people have physical needs, they need to be taken care of, the body needs to be healthy in order to serve Hashem, we are, we're hopeful that a person, that's not, that, that's not what's the most important to somebody. It's only a means to an end. And from that point on, we want the spiritual to take dominance. And the, this pasuk, this verse, gives us an insight to this concept. Because the table, which it represents, parnasa, livelihood, that's listed first, right? And then after, right, As after a person gets a little older, what's listed next? The menorah. We hope as a person's life goes on, their focus changes to the spiritual, from the physical needs to the spiritual. And now the, the parnasa, the sustenance, takes a secondary role to the spiritual. And that's why the location of the table is repeated again after it's said in reference to the menorah. Because once a person gets to a point in life where the spiritual is, the, is primacy, we, it's, it's more important, so now they still need the physical, but the spiritual is still more important. Only once you have the focus on your true goals in life of where you want to go, go to, you know, what is your... Your ends, what is? what are you trying to go for? That hopefully the spiritual, the menorah, the Torah is, is the most important thing to you. So then we bring in the location of the table again, the shulchan again, to tell us, to keep it in its proper perspective, to, to know that it's subordinate to the spiritual, subordinate to our desires to get close to Hashem and, and follow the Torah. And that's the breakdown of the Pasuk and the relationship that it could have to us. Hopefully in life, we change from that infant that has, is just self-centered to an adult who has the focus and realizes that the spiritual is what is the most important and the physical, though still important, takes a second row, a back seat to the spiritual. So with that, I'm going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. Have a great day.